Hey, you guys ever use that Thunderdome, or do you just put it up for decoration? Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where battle to the death involves more rubber tubing than it should in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 32, which begins with the least coordinated aerial dance performance I've ever seen. And it ends with Max being slammed into the ground. Dangling from a fighting harness alongside us today is Scott Corelli from the Back to the Future Minute and Cornetto Minute podcasts. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Scott. <laughs> As I was thinking about you coming on the show, I realized that you have so many different projects and things that I can pull from that I can just mention something different every day. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's accurate. And then some. Exactly. So I figured I'd pull from some of your podcasts that have either concluded or are currently on hiatus. <laughs> yeah. As we come back in on minute 32, we find Max and Blaster still, I could say, fighting the forces of gravity. I could also say that they're just fighting the fact that they are so ridiculous looking as they dangle from these <laughs> harnesses. They don't actually relax to the point where they can touch the ground until about eight seconds into this minute. And even then, it's it's eight seconds and some change there. But I have to wonder, for the people up at the top of the dome controlling these harnesses, do they keep them that high up off the ground to just humble them a little bit? Mm. Hmm. You get these big macho guys and they want to beat the tar out of each other. And then the dudes controlling the bungees is like, okay, yeah, you guys think you're tough, but hey. I'm going to make you look ridiculous first. Mm. I wonder if they do it to slow the fight down. Mm -hmm. To um, make sure that there's a good show. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is this a good show? <laughs> 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 well, it makes me think back to the Bonesaw fight in Spider-Man that we mentioned on Monday. The whole idea of that setup is that Peter has to last three minutes in the ring with Bonesaw, and most people just can't do that. And so I see the bungees maybe as a way, like you said, to stretch out the fight. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to knock someone out in the first minute if you can't even get your bearings straight. Right. That's true. This is, uh, I mean, this is, this just feels like a, this is just a nightmare. Uh, I just, like, I'm looking at, um, you know, Blaster's trying his best, uh, you know, like Blaster is ought to do. Max is just flailing around like a toddler. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just so funny watching him just like dance away from this guy. I don't know. I it's this is so silly. It's just so silly. What what do you think? Do they do you think they made these specifically for this? Or were these like sex swings that they like repurposed? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we've talked about the bungees before, but the idea of a sex swing never came up. <laughs> what was the thing we thought up the other day? Is it that they just got a giant shipment of rubber tubing? Like someone raided a hospital and just went straight to Barter Town to trade it all? Yeah, we guess it was like surgical tubing or something like that. And yeah, somebody raided a, a shipment. <laughs> brought it to Barter Town and used it to trade for a couple hours with a woman. If the brothel is full and you've used up all of the rubber tubing there and you've still got extra, you might as well incorporate it into your death matches, right? Yeah. That seems like such a waste. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> considering that 
medical care and antibiotics are probably at a premium in this world. You would probably want to save anything that could be used to keep one safe in a brothel situation. You don't want to spend that somewhere else. You'd want to keep it for the brothel situation. <laughs> Especially since in Thunderdome, you know someone's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pulling a Gary Roby. I'm shrugging, but you can't see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also think the awkwardness, I mean... I, you know, on on uh, Doctor's Companion, when we're watching like classic Doctor Who stories, we deal with like a lot of, uh, you know, pantomiming where people have to pretend things are alive that aren't alive and they just have to make it work. And I feel like they use similar acting techniques that uh, Mel Gibson's using here because I think... Mm. I think the problem is that the actor playing Blaster can't see anything and that's why... This fight is as awkward as it is. I mean, the rubber bands don't help, but like also one of them is blind. That's got to be that's got to be hard. And Mel's trying his best, but man, this is silly. This is really silly. That that point where he that point where he jumps up and tries to like drop kick him in the in the face and just there's absolutely like no weight behind his kick whatsoever. He just sort of flops into his arms. <laughs> it's I don't know. It's almost like the jump at the end of Dirty Dancing, but Max is doing it backwards, Mm -hmm. where instead of jumping torso first, he's jumping legs first. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Blaster's never seen Dirty Dancing, so he doesn't know how to Swayze, and he just turns it into a uh, an opportunity to fling Max around. Into the lo- into the single spike, the mm-hmm. one spike. Is that a spike or is that a weapon that's just sticking out? Oh, that is definitely a spike. Okay. Oh, we get so punked out by the camera here because the camera is right next to the spike and we can see that as Blaster has pulled Max back and let him go, sort of like, uh, like Angry Birds. <laughs> He's launched Max up and Max is flying at that spike and then at the last minute we change perspective and he hits the dome right next to it. Mm-hmm. It's like we need more of those. Yeah. Like you were saying on Monday. Yeah. One spike is not enough spikes. There needs to be spikes everywhere. One spike does not a murder dome make. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, they should be they there should be they should be on every joint and they should be motorized. They should just be like spinning drills. <laughs> I mean, I just, I oh, want complete madness. That would be an excellent opportunity to incorporate the spectators because you'd make it instead of motorized, you have a hand crank on the outside oh, of the dome. So yes. as people are sitting there, they can turn the crank as they're watching. Yeah. And be like, I'm participating in the murder. Yeah. No, just like when you're uh, at a theme park and then you have the water, you have the water ride and then you're like done with the water ride and then you get sprayed in the face by like a spectator on a water gun, you know, yes. one of those water cannons. It's like that. Like the water exactly. cannon of the Thunderdome. <laughs> we had a overhead shot when Max was trying to stay away from Blaster. And you can see that these harnesses are more or less going up into the same place. So when they're not quite low enough that they can stand on their own, they're still kind of bunging. Max is having to push off at an angle to keep himself away because the bungees are pulling both of the combatants together. Mm-hmm. That is a very smart move. Because, yes, you want to draw out the fight, but once you let them on the ground, you also want them constantly at each other. Yes. Now, Scott, remind me. 
the Spider-Man scene where he's the doing the cage fight thing. Doesn't he like climb up on a wall and just kind of sit there until the time is up? Mm-hmm. He like doesn't put on a good show. Is that what is that how it happens? He he tries to. It starts that way. Like oh, okay. as soon as the as soon as the fight starts, that's what he does. And he's like, what are you doing up there? And he's like, staying away from you. And But then he eventually uh, jumps down and then and then they they fight. But he takes him out in like a minute instead of the three minutes that he's supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. So th- that's exactly what this setup is trying to prevent. Right. Yeah, they want to elongate it, but there still has to be action. Somebody still has to die. Right. Mm-hmm. I think my two favorite spectators are uh, the sailor and the cowboy. Um, that are like next to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Some sort of like naval sailor guy. And then I don't know, it's like straight up like evil crocodile Dundee um, <laughs> next to him. Now, Julia, you were looking into the hat that the sailor guy is wearing. And I you was. spent a long time looking at hats. I spent too long looking at hats, but that is the <laughs> life of... A minute by miniter. So the hat is called a nickname. It's not what it's actually called. It's called a Dixie cup. And <laughs> during my research, I found another nickname that just made me laugh out loud. I thought I found lots of nicknames, but this one made me laugh. It's also called a squid lid. Oh, squid lid. Squid lid. Because guys in the Navy, women too, but you know, uh, guys in the Navy are called squids. Okay. That's their nickname. Oh. Is that because they spray ink when they're frightened? Well, because they go in the water. Mm. I thought the whole idea of the Navy was not to go in the water. Like, Well, they go on the water. Yeah. Like, it still boggles my mind that being able to swim is not a prerequisite to going in the Navy. Mm. Well, you have to take a swim test at, at boot camp. Well, okay. I should amend that. For, I know for the Coast Guard, you have to take a swim test to uh, graduate from boot camp. Yeah. Like a hard swim test. Hmm. Um, I also wanted to figure out if the Dixie Cup was exclusively American or if it was also Australian. I am pretty sure that the Australian Navy does not wear the Dixie Cup. Oh. I say pretty sure and not definite because I really couldn't find a place that would tell me specifically these are the current uniforms for the Australian military. Yeah, I just couldn't find a definitive answer. But I'm pretty sure that they do not wear the Dixie Cup. I'm also pretty sure that the United States is the only Navy that wears it. When I was really looking closely at the hat, I could have sworn it had a USS on it. As on opposed the brim, to a as opposed to H-M-A-N, Her Majesty's Australian Navy. I'm pretty sure is their name. Yeah. Her Majesty's H-M-A-N. <laughs> I had to think about that way too hard. I'm sure that's close enough. But yes. Yeah. <laughs> I could not make out the name of the ship. On the front of the hat, mm-hmm. but it oh, more or less looked like a USS okay. on there. So, the Dixie Cup became part of the uniform regulations in 1886. It has changed a little bit since then in material, but the basic shape has been since 1886. Mm-hmm. It's worn by enlisted sailors E1 through E6. And in 1973, they changed. They call in the mil- in the military they call it a cover. So. A lot of the quotes I pulled and stuff use the term cover, so that's what they mean. They changed the military cover to a combination cover, which is a lot more similar to the covers. I'm using that word a lot, but that's what it's called. 
that the officers wear with like the the brim and like the the wedge okay. with the brim mm-hmm. and there was an absolute uproar nobody liked it everybody wanted to go back to the dixie cup so they did mm. okay mm. gotcha it's also the unofficial headwear of uh, short order cooks everywhere yes mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i just like how into it this guy is so this guy this sailor he either is an american sailor who happened to be in australia which is totally plausible at the time of the apocalypse it's totally plausible that there was an australian submarine or battleship or something that was ported in australia at the time or he could have been on well no because if he, if he was on break of some kind he wouldn't have been in uniform although he might have had his uniform with him it could just, just be a case. qui-gon Jin situation where maybe he found a sailor and he killed him and took it from him yeah <laughs> that also could be it he's like post-apocalyptic hipster right because it's like <laughs> because if he's wearing a navy uniform in like the world where water is it's a resource not readily available like he's kind of being funny isn't he he's like it's like an ironic thing yes yeah (laughs) this is one of those situations where if this legit was a star wars movie that guy would have like a 500 word wikipedia entry Mm -hmm. yeah he'd have a backstory Mm -hmm. we'd know exactly what his name is where's the tales from barterstown (laughs) yeah he would have a he would have an action figure (laughs) yeah Oh, side note, just occurred to me, I'm not 100% sure because it's off the top of my head, but I don't believe that the Dixie Cup hat has printed on it what boat the sailor is on. So maybe it's a souvenir. It could be a souvenir. It could be a costume piece. Hmm. The first, like my first Google searches were like Australian (laughs) Dixie Cup type stuff. And most of my returns that I got were for costume shops in Australia that carried that kind of hat. Maybe he's a stripper. Could be. Yes. Maybe he works in the brothel and he's <laughs> the reason why the brothel was full and mm. why the collector did not offer that as a source of work for Max. Because they already had a guy. I mean, more than one. Mm-hmm. And and he comes with a theme. <laughs> if you're putting together the post-apocalyptic village people. You got a cowboy and a sailor right there. Yep. Max would make an excellent leather daddy, I assume. Mm-hmm. That was one of the village people, right? I think he was supposed to be a biker, but he was a yes. leather daddy. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I think you need to I think you need to have a mustache to be a successful leather daddy, right? I agree with that. <laughs> I think you need the handlebar mustache if you're going to We know a guy. There is a guard. Mm. With a magnificent mustache. Oh, yeah. The guard that led Max into the dome had a big old caterpillar on his face. Yes. So maybe either he works in the brothel like as a second job Mm -hmm. or he was just promoted from the brothel to the Imperial Guard. Mm -hmm. Because he's a macho, macho man. Yes. And we've got the (laughs) we've got the cowboy themed stripper right next to the Navy themed one. Yeah. They're they went together. It's perfect. Yeah. Airtight. Yeah. They're the post-fight entertainment. <laughs> oh my god. It just oh my god, I just got the mental image of 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 Blaster winning this fight and Max is just dead on the floor and they start cheering and taking away his dead body and then the strippers just come in and start dancing and it's just <laughs> just immediately like cheerleaders. <laughs> Poles drop from the top of the dome yeah. and the lights change color. Oh my god. What a Fresh depressing way to go. <laughs> <laughs> if 
Monty doesn't break into song at some point, then I'd be very disappointed. Mm-hmm. Too bad we don't get to figure out how a normal Thunderdome ends. <laughs> That's true. It's very. No, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a shame. This is not a good example of a Thunderdome. <laughs> One thing I wanted to bring up when Max was flung across the dome and he narrowly avoided that spike. After more or less hitting his head on the side of the dome, he kind of swings back towards Blaster. He has essentially become a human boomerang. Yep. I question about the tension on these bungee cords at this point. (laughs) I wonder if the people controlling them up top are guiding the fight in a certain direction. It's very possible. With controlling the tension and the timing. So I'm wondering if they're biased. I'm wondering if they've been paid off. Okay, if the people controlling these bungees are on Auntie's payroll, they would not be biased against Max. No, I'm wondering if they've been paid off by Master. Possibly. Maybe that's one reason among others, but maybe that's one reason why Blaster has gone in there 20 times and 20 times has been the last man standing. Mm. Because he has help. Well, that wouldn't make it a fair fight. Well, yeah, the whole, mm, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, it's already not a fair fight because he's like blind in that mask thing that he's wearing. Yeah, so maybe Master justifies buying off the bungee guys by saying that it's not a fair fight because Blaster wears that helmet. And Blaster Mm -hmm. has to wear the helmet because he's hiding his disability. Mm -hmm. People can't know that Blaster is disabled. Mm -hmm. Although why not? Why can't people know that? The people don't care that Master is taking advantage of Blaster. Why would they care if they learned that Blaster was mentally disabled? It's because Blaster likes smiling at people too much. He's too friendly. Mm. So he needs that hard outer exterior. I don't know. Oh, something we missed. I think it was last minute that I think proves that Blaster is not the kind person that maybe we want him to be. Right after Dr. Dealgood steps away after giving his instructions, but before Auntie starts talking, there's this really low, muted laugh, like a chuckle. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure it's Blaster. Oh, it's definitely mm-hmm. Blaster. Yeah, like laughing. And if I'm not mistaken, that's the first time that Blaster does anything without Master's command. So making his own decision on his own, he is laughing sinisterly at Max. Well, uh- you interpret it as a sinister laugh. It's a laugh that's coming from inside of a giant metal helmet. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> even if he was reading Peter Rabbit to orphans, it would still sound sinister because of mm-hmm. the fact that he's wearing this giant helmet. <laughs> okay, that's a good point. I think it's more of um, it's more of a it's like a childlike laugh. Like he's he's gonna he gets to play. Like this is his playtime. Yeah. And the way that he's playing with Max is sort of the way that like, you know, like dogs roughhouse, you know, like they're vicious, but they're not really. They just kind of look vicious. And I just don't think he realizes how badly he's uh, hurting Max. I think he just I, I can imagine a world where Master is telling Blaster that every person he's killed is totally fine. They're totally fine. And they're in a happier place you know, prancing through a field somewhere. They're living on a ranch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it, uh, what's the character's name from Of Mice and Men? Is it Lenny? Lenny. Who mm-hmm. doesn't know his own strength, doesn't realize that he's 
hurting things. Mm -hmm. Right. Perhaps it's a very, very similar situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you look at how Blaster takes Max and slingshots him across the dome and then catches him again and just starts wailing on him, like, there's not a targeted form of fighting. It seems very haphazard and it's a lot of swinging with a lot of openings. If Blaster was a... (laughs) fine-tuned killing machine he'd be a lot more efficient at it right he probably would have impaled max on that spike on purpose right quick or at least would have kept trying yes (laughs) but you're right his fighting style is more like a couple of dogs who are roughhousing Mm -hmm. like yeah someone could and very well might get hurt But it's not necessarily on purpose. Right. Mm -hmm. Huh. Interesting. And once Blaster has Max back in his grip, more or less, he takes his hand that's not holding onto Max and he just starts wailing Mm -hmm. on Max's shoulder. And that's the same shoulder that Max had torn apart by Bearclaw Mohawk at the end of the second movie. Ooh. During the big rig chase. So I'm sure over the 15 years between movies, it's had plenty of time to heal, but it can't be all that great. Yeah, it's got to feel like an old football injury or something at this point. Yeah, yeah. exactly. The kind of injury that never really heals. Right, right. Back and to I, the way it was. And also, you know, it's important to point out Blaster's technique, which, as you said, he holds him with one hand and punches him with the other. Mm-hmm. He knows to do that because he's been in 20 of these. Max earlier tried to kick him and wasn't holding him. And so he just kind of jumped off of his chest or whatever, you know, <laughs> because he he didn't realize like, oh, I have to hold him in place or this doesn't work. Mm. Whereas, you know, Blaster just like grabs him with one hand and just wails on him with the other because um, he knows this is how this works. You got to have mm-hmm. leverage. Yeah, his experience is definitely showing. Mm -hmm. In this minute. So going back to that spike at the top of the dome, Mm -hmm. I sometimes like to bring up the fact that CinemaSins did a video about this movie and they give the movie a sin for the misdirect of Max flying towards the spike and then narrowly missing it. I I don't really agree with that. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I hate CinemaSins. You're not alone. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody watch, watch Cinema Wins. That's the better channel. It's the positive channel, the positive version. Right. They're they're much better. CinemaSins, uh, they don't make any sense. Actually, <laughs> uh, the the screen the the screenplay that we you mentioned in yesterday's uh, minute, uh, we have a whole thing where we just sort of riff on ripping on. We're just like dunking on CinemaSins. It's um, <laughs> a part of the script where we do that uh, because CinemaSins is the worst, and they don't know anything. They're just being needlessly cynical about everything. Yeah. I think that's what the sin in it is. It's for cynicism, not for uh, wrong any any wrongdoings on the movie's part. With the sin that they gave for this moment of Max not hitting the spike, I feel like, uh, let's see, I'm, I'm on the fence. Oh, see, I thought that was a moment that they did right in this fight. There's a lot of yeah. stuff that I don't necessarily think that they did right, but building up tension like that and showing close calls. Is it mm-hmm. though? Is it is it a close call? Because we're barely half an hour into this movie and George Miller doesn't do titular character death. 
No, he doesn't. But Max is always getting hurt. Mm -hmm. Throughout the movies, Max gets hurt. And then he has to deal with the injury for the rest of the movie. So, yeah, I would be okay if he got, like, impaled on the shoulder or something. Yeah, you still need stakes in this. Like, when when I'm talking about, like, my dream of a Thunderdome of, like, you know, drills everywhere. um, (laughs) It's because, like, yeah, I want to see Max get hurt. Like, that's the whole point, right? Like, you want to see him get hurt a little bit. Like, not killed. You want him to outsmart getting killed, but you still want to see him get hurt. And he gets punched in the face a few times and slammed around, but, like, he never gets really hurt in this. Yeah. And that's a problem. Like, after he misses the spike, Blaster eventually grabs onto Max's bungee cords, drops him to the ground, and then jumps on his back, uses him like a trampoline. Mm-hmm. It's a situation where Max is at a disadvantage and has to quick wit his way out of it. But at the same time, I don't know. It's like, I feel like this fight is very bloodless. Yes. Yeah. I like the jumping on his back part. I think that's a very interesting use of the bungee cords. If you're going to have these harnesses and bungees and you're going to fly all over the place, use them in creative ways. And that is one creative way I really like. But it would have been better if he was bloody and now he's getting dirt all stuck to the blood and he looks a mess. Mm -hmm. It would have been better. It would have been more visually appealing Mm -hmm. and it would have communicated a little bit better how much that hurts. Mm -hmm. Because when somebody does that to you, there's not really uh, physical outward damage. You're just in a lot of pain and you can't breathe. But this is a visual medium. We need to be shown that he's not doing so well. And some blood and dirt would have done the trick. Yeah. So I I do wish that he had gotten like scratched or stabbed or something by that spike. Yeah. Another thing about Max getting jumped on. I definitely feel at this point in the fight that Blaster is in full on play with your food mode. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think he could have finished Max off earlier. And now he's just having fun. You know, this might be one of the only times that he feels free. That he gets to cut loose? Yeah. I mean, we don't really get to see him when he's not in Master Blaster mode. I mean, do they ever have any time apart? Maybe not. Maybe this is it. I mean, to hear the collector and auntie describe it, they're always together. Yeah. Right. And that's that's not healthy. You need time to yourself. <laughs> does, this, does this count for you that? You need time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you need to have time where you get to decide what you do. Yeah. And how you do it. And this might be the closest that Blaster gets. So that pretty much brings us to the end of this minute, this minute of Max just constantly getting wailed on to not a lot of visual effect. It's not a great start for Max. He's not coming out strong. And it's... I wouldn't say it's out of the ordinary for Max. I feel like Max gets into these situations and then he finds himself at a bit of a disadvantage and he has to work his way through it. And eventually he comes out on top, but he definitely has to struggle first. Yeah, this definitely seems par for the course. Yeah. We're going to put a pin in this fight. We're going to come back on Friday. We're going to see how Max deals with being used as a human trampoline. We're going to see him make a play at pulling out his secret weapon. We're going to see how well that works for him. Spoiler alert, not very well, but we'll cover all of that when we get to the end of the week, and we'll catch you then. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. 
Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link join our Patreon by clicking the support link, or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link. Thank you for joining us for our minute 32 of Beyond Thunderdome. We'll see you next time. Everybody